Kate. Thank you, choir. And thank you, Murray and Frank. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians? Find Philippians in your Bible. If you have a mobile device, you can look on your mobile device, or you can look at one of the Bibles that we have in the pew. So find Philippians. It's one of Paul's 13 letters. And uh, usually when Paul wrote to a, a place, he wrote uh, and named the document that he sent in name of the place that he was writing to. And so here he writes to a place called Philippi. Susan and I have had the privilege of visiting there at Philippi, and it was a great, one of the great experiences of our lives. And Paul is writing. He's, he hadn't been to that church in about 10 years, but he is in prison and he's in a place called the Mamertine Prison, which is just like a very small kind of place that they had. In fact, they let him down through a hole in the top, and then they closed up the top. So he didn't have an a open door there, at, but God gave him an open door to talk to people. And he had an open door in his cell. He made an open door because of the attitude that he had. Because so much depends on our attitude and how we look at things and how we experience things <coughs> and what kind of attitude do we have. If life throws at us some unexpected places and we end up in places we had never, ever wanted to be, but all of a sudden we find ourselves there. So in Philippians, if you find Philippians, look at chapter 1. We'll just read a couple of verses uh, in a little while. But I want to mention some people that we need to pray for, and our church has people that are going through some tough times, and Alfred Stewart is one of those, and also um, Miriam Hughes passed away, and so we need to remember that family. And the flowers today are for Sybil Mott and her family, so we remember the um, uh, Mott family. Also, Paul Hull, we play basketball together. Joe Sexton and Paul and I played basketball together, and Paul's in intensive care, I think, in uh, Montgomery, and Paul in Gloria. And also, um, uh, Stacy and Ty, I still, I talked to Stacy the other day, and, and they're going through some tough times, so remember them uh, in your prayers. I'd like to also mention my brother Ken is here, and so Ken is a celebrity in our family because... I beat him up. I don't know how many times I've beaten Ken. He wouldn't be the man he is today with my <laughs> the torture I put him through, but I <laughs> thank God uh, for Ken. Now, uh, are you liking fall? You know, we're in the middle of fall. Uh, we're not in the middle of fall, but we're at the beginning of fall. And uh, today at Cracker Barrel, I bought my first Christmas present. Or Susan and I bought our first Christmas present. I go to the expensive places, you know, to buy those kind of presents, and they already had Christmas stuff out, so it wasn't, we couldn't pass up the uh, Christmas stuff that was there, so we bought one present anyway. How many of you have finished with your Christmas shopping? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right, well, let's get, I, was, I wish the world would just slow down and let's just enjoy fall. I think fall's a great time. I like pumpkin spice. I have pumpkin spice coffee, I have pumpkin spice everything, because I love pumpkin spice. And uh, later on next month, Susan and I will be going up to Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg for a conference up there, and I always love to go up there and see the leaves and the time of the year, and it's always a great time for me. So it's good to have fall, and I thank God for the seasons that change, but a God who never changes. 
Now, I had a, uh, a couple of friends of mine, and they were lawyer friends. It's good to have lawyer friends. And, and so they bought an abandoned uh, funeral home right across the street from the city hall, and uh, they made a chicken place out of that old abandoned funeral home. And so, <laughs> you might have gone there. I don't know if you went there. But... Um, it had good chicken, and it had good uh, side orders on the menu, but it went out of business because people had a hard time eating chicken in a funeral home. Amen? That's just, it just does. <laughs> it was the attitude that they brought in there. How about that? I'm getting to my point about the attitude. The attitude of Philippians is one of joy. It's a majestic monosyllable. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's the second of the fruits. Love is the first fruit, and then joy. Uh, joy is different from happiness. Happiness depends on circumstances, and as an Auburn fan, we never depend on circumstances. We have joy in spite of circumstances. Alabama's having a hard time learning that, you know, but it happens kind of. So there's a difference between happiness is depending on circumstances, but joy is a settle attitude that God is still in control. Regardless of where I am, regardless of my moment, somehow or another, God is in this moment with me, and God is taking this moment somehow a direction that will bless my life and bless those around me. Paulus uh, took an open door to Philippi because it was a different kind of place. Philippi is not the largest city in Macedonia, but it's a city that is, Thessalonica was the best city, but it's a city where there was no church. There was nothing there. There was a woman's prayer meeting that was going on in, in, by the river, the uh, Dante's River, but there was no synagogue there. There was no church there. And that was the place that God sent Paul. And he said, I have a purpose and I have an open door there and I want you to go through that door. But it's been 10 years since he's in that church. In the prison cell that he is in, he appealed to Caesar, and he's there where he is in, in that prison cell. And that's not where he wanted to be. When John the Baptist was in a prison cell, he kind of lost his vision. And sometimes when it looks like life is against you and you wonder where God is and you prayed for God to do some things and you hadn't seen God and it seems like he has abandoned you, then sometimes you kind of lose your vision. And John the Baptist had kind of lost his vision. But Paul is there in this cell and he does, writes four letters. And four letters that would change so many lives. He writes Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and also a letter to Philippi. Only four chapters, but there are 18 times that the word joy is mentioned there. Majestic monosyllable. He never knew how long his life was gone because his life was kind of in the hands of Nero. And Nero was an eccentric. He was considered a political prisoner. As a political prisoner, he was chained to two guards who would decide him. But his life was threatened each and every day. And I, I remember a man that I talked to one time who had been captured by the Germans and, and in France during World War II and each day, the officer in charge would bring all the prisoners out. He would take a 38, and he'd spin that 38, 
and he'd put it up against the heads of the prisoners and pull the trigger. And he said every day he lived under that kind of threat. And he never knew whether they were going to make it the next day or the next day. And living under that kind of threat does something to your mind. But Paul seems to just keep on that kind of attitude of joy in the middle of all those things that are happening unto him, in the middle of every day that uh, kind of you wonder if what's going to happen. Is Nero going to change things? Is Nero going to cut my head off? What's Nero going to do? But he saw he was not so much in the hands of Nero as he was in the hands of Christ. And he said this, one of the great verses of that, of Philippians is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, I'll go be with him. If I live, he will come to me. So somehow he managed to just shape out of that a place that you would think would go against him and give him the wrong kind of vision, and yet he held on to something called joy. He kept that joy. Not only did he keep that joy, but he passed it on to this church to encourage them to keep their joy. Now, there are several reasons why uh, Paul wrote uh, Philippians. One of the reasons was this. They had sent him some money. They had sent him a love gift, and they, they had sent it by a man named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus not only uh, uh, brought the gift, but he stayed there to help Paul out. But in the process, he had become sick and almost died, and so Paul's sending him back. But he did bring that love gift, so he's thanking the church. He's writing a thank you note and thanking that church for being sending them the supply that he needed. Because there was, you've got in the Roman prison cell, you were on your own. There was no, what do you want to eat tonight? What would you like to eat tonight? Would you like to watch TV? Would you like to go out in the yard and exercise? No, if you died in prison so much so, they'd throw you away. But they thought about him. They thought about him. And so they sent him some money. And not only money, but a man to kind of help him out in the middle of his prison condition. And somebody who will come to be with you in those times of need is something that's needed so much. And so Paul found joy. Now, he also writes to them to tell them about why he is in prison. I mean, if you're, if your pastor, uh, interim pastor, well, let's do Frank. If your interim music director <laughs> got arrested, <laughs> <laughs> then you'd <laughs> then you'd want to know why he got arrested, wouldn't you? If he was in the jail over there in Demopolis, you'd want to know what is he doing over there in the jail <laughs> in Demopolis. And so Paul is writing to tell them he is in jail not because he has done something wrong, but because he's done something right. He has preached the gospel, and they put him in jail for that. But he writes, we thank them, he writes to and encourage them in a Christian life. Because all of us need encouragement in our Christian life. Hang in there. Go get them. Hold on to the Lord. Don't let go. He's there for you. So all of that is kind of my introduction to uh, Philippians. So if you look 
In honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us from Philippians? Paul begins his letters like they began letters in that day and time. They tell you who it's from rather than having to go all the way down the letter and see who it's from. So they start off telling them who it's from. Paul and Timothy. Timothy is a young man who comes from a mixed uh, family. His mother was Jewish and his father was a Greek. And it seems like his father passed away. And one of the things that fathers were to do, Jewish fathers were to do, was to have their son circumcised, but he was not circumcised. So Paul uh, had him circumcised so he could blend in with either the Jewish group or with the Greek group. So he could fit either side. Now, uh, what is circumcision? And uh, when I was teaching at Judson, I'd have 50 women in the room, and I had to explain to them what circumcision was. So this is how I explain it. Uh, it's the removal of the foreskin of the male reproductive organ. And if you got any other question, go home and ask your mother. Amen. <laughs> so it was a Jewish identity that uh, came all the way from Abraham. So if he hadn't been circumcised, he would never have been accepted by the Jewish community. So Timothy could fit in either a Greek situation or a Jewish situation. But he had been so helpful to Paul while he was in Philippi. Servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, if you have a King James, it says King James, King Christ Jesus. If you have another, I think the original of that is Christ Jesus. And it's written that way because Paul, that's how he knew Christ first. And then he knew Jesus. So he never knew Jesus as an earthly person, but he knew Christ when he met him on the road uh, to uh, uh, Damascus. So to all the saints that are in Philippi, bishops and deacons, so there's an organized church that's there. It's got the pastoral ministry as well as the deacon-servant kind of ministry. Grace be to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Without grace, you and I can have no peace because we all need grace. Now, while you're standing, would you turn to somebody next to you and say, you need grace? Would you do that? Just turn to somebody next to you and you need grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Amen. I think more husbands need that than wives, but both of us need it. Amen. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 3, I thank my God. Isn't it something he thanks God in the middle of that prison cell, in the middle of the darkness of that moment? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all. So he's got to be Southern. Amen. When he says you all. Making requests with what? What's the word? Joy. Right? Making requests with joy. So there's that attitude of joy in the middle of a prison cell. Because he knows that he's in God's hands, not so much Nero's hands. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated.
Now, if you would, would you turn to uh, Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. Acts is the history of the church, and it tells when the church at Philippi was first started, Acts chapter 16. It tells us about when it was first started. And it's a great moment in Christian history. And the reason why that's a great moment in Christian history is because the gospel goes west rather than east. It's going to eventually get to the east, but it goes first to the west and to Europe and to England and then across the ocean to the United States. So the gospel goes west. Before this, Paul had been ministering in Asia Minor, which is in Turkey and that part of the world. But now he's on his second missionary journey. He's taken Silas with him and taken uh, Timothy and he's taken um, uh, Luke and Luke writes this about Acts because he was there and he uses a we statement in there because he was there when it happened. So he's got Paul and Silas who are two Jewish background Christians. He's got Timothy who is a kind of uh, has a Greek background as well as a Jewish background. And he's got Luke, who is totally pagan. Luke is a favorite doctor, but he comes from a totally Gentile background. But when he writes, he writes about the experiences they have. And he writes about coming to Philippi. So the four of them on Paul's second missionary journey, they are going trying to go to Asia, which in Asia was a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was the about third largest city in all of the world at that time. And so he feels like that God is calling him to Asia. But God blocks his path. He docks his path at two places like Mysia and Bithynia. And he blocks his path. Paul is kind of determined to get there, to Asia. He has Asia kind of on his mind, Ephesus on his mind. But God has other plans for him, and he's calling him in a different direction. There will be a time when he will go to Ephesus, but now's not that time. And he's still working on that place in Ephesus, but he has another place for him to go. And that's the Philippi. And if you have your Bibles, look at verse 9. I would start with verse 8. That's a good one to be there. And they passing through Mysia came down to Troas. They were in a place called Troas. One of those places where you got to make a decision. Where am I going? At a crossroad. It's one of those places where it can determine some, some important things in your life. Determine where you will eventually end up. And all of us come to those crossroad places. So as he did, he didn't know where to go. He felt like God had blocked his way going to Ephesus, so now he's just saying, where do you want me to go, God? Where is a place that you, I want to go to Ephesus, and I'm still kind of determined to go there. But he has this dream. So if you look in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. You know, God's in the vision business. I had to talk to a church a long time to let them know that you can not only talk to God, but God talks to you. And if you listen, if you read his word, if you spend time in prayer, and you're open, 
to where he might send you. It might be your neighbor. It might be down the street. But he has a plan and purpose for you. And I don't want to live this life and live this life and hear God say to me when one of these days I pass that pass across that he said, this is what your life could have been if you had listened to me. But sometimes you got to spend some quiet time to listen and that is so hard for us to do in this world and day and time. We fill our life with all this noise that's there and it's hard for us to just sit down and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? If you're a Christian, there's a calling upon your life. God called to Abraham said, I want you to leave from Ur of the Chaldees. Mm, that was a long way to go. And when you get there, I'll tell you when you get there. He did the same thing to Jacob. He did to Moses on the backside of the desert. And Moses was on the backside of the desert. And God said, I've heard the cries of my people. And I'm going to send you. And Moses said, no, I don't want to go. God said, I'll let your brother go with you. And finally, God says, go. And he sends him to bring the people out of Egypt. It was a great movement of God. Um, when I was at Tom's tonight, that was a great church to me. is where God wanted me to be, Susan and I, and our family to be. I'm not talking about Thomasville. I'm talking about Thomaston. We had to go to Linden to get a hamburger and Demopolis to get a pizza. And they had one yellow light there, blinking yellow light. They, even, they had a couple of stores that were there. But I had uh, finishing up my dissertation at, at um, Southwestern and uh, Liberty University called me and said, you know, we want you to come and, and teach at Liberty University. And so I really thought about that and flew up there, but I just didn't have a bad, feel, good feeling about it. Now, sometimes your conscious wants you to go somewhere, and God has to work through your subconscious somewhere to lead you somewhere else. And there was this feeling that I had that, wow, this is not where God wants me to be. And so they... I kept, I got a call from Thomaston, Alabama, and they said, we want you to come and be a pastor. And they said, the water is terrible, but we want you to come and be a pastor. <laughs> Thank you for that. The first question they got when Susan, Susan and I looked at the uh, public committee, uh, this is the first question they asked. They said, does your wife play the organ? I was ready with all my theories of atonement and everything and biblical ideas, but uh, what happened, I think the, the organ player quit, and so they needed somebody to play the organ. So they wanted an organ player, but they also would be nice to throw in a pastor while they were there. <laughs> and so I went to Thomas. It was, uh, sometimes when I rode several years ago, I was right above a meeting there at Liberty and I looked at all those that building that they Jerry Falwell and all those have built and I was like wow man it would have been great to have been part of that but that wasn't where God wanted me to be my conscience 
me was telling me that's where you need to be. That's what my subconscious was saying. This isn't right. This isn't right. I got another place for you. And he did that to Paul. If you look in the scripture verse there, and, and stood a man from Macedonia in his vision, that's, that's the subconscious. The conscious in Paul wanted to go to Ephesus, but God came to him in the subconscious because the conscious was blocking his subconscious message that he wanted to see. Sometimes God has to deal with that. And we have a feeling that this isn't right and somehow it's not right and it shouldn't be. And you can't, you can't define that in any other way. Things might look like they're good and special and you think this is where, but it's not Paul's idea. It's got to be God's idea. And so God says, I want you to go to Philippi. So when he got there to Philippi, and he did, the next day, um, they, if you look in your Bible, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we, he confirmed that among, because when you have a direction that God has given you, one of the best things you can do is find some friends that you think are walking close to the Lord and say, whatever that decision is, what do you think about this decision? So the we joined in, they said, yes. We feel like that's God's will for our life. And so they came to Philippi. And if you read the rest of the story about Philippi, you see they came, there was no synagogue there. Paul always went to a synagogue. There were a group of women that were meeting in prayer. What can God do through a group of women? He can change the world. That's what he can do. There was this demonized woman and he cast the demon out of And they took him and put him in prison and beat him in Silas. Even though they were Roman citizens. And this jailer had never seen anything like Paul and Silas in prison. Because people watch. People watch. And they see how you're acting. And they want to know if what you have is real. One night at a Wednesday night supper, um, I came in kind of late. I'd been in a couple of meetings, and it was, you know, um, the symbol of Southern Baptists is that we have covered their suppers. Amen? That's what we do. But I came in kind of late, and they had eaten all the chicken, and so there was not much chicken there. There were two, um, two uh, drumsticks, and they were both skinny drumsticks. And there was this um, sign on there pick up one piece of chicken, but I was hungry. So I reached in there and I grabbed two pieces of chicken. And this little boy said, the pastor got two pieces of chicken. I threw it back in there, you know. People are watching. They want to know if what you got is real. They want to know how do you handle the bad things that come your way when you're mistreated and how you're taken in the wrong direction, misunderstood. People watch and they won't see if it's real. And there was an old jailer that watched and he saw what Paul and Silas was in the middle of that night when they were not up just in a regular prison, but they were in the back of the prison and they had chained them in the back back there 
and they were singing him. Blessed be the tie that binds. Holy, holy, holy. Whatever you want to say. They were singing hymns. And a prisoner said, there's something different about these again. And so they asked the question, or he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? A central question in the middle of this chapter. What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that night, that jailer, the one who put him in jail, put him in the back part, accepted Christ as his Savior. Not only did he accept Christ as his Savior, but he also, his whole household, because if you get daddy saved, you get the rest of them saved. I think as I talk to so many women and wives, they're saying, I wish my husband was the spiritual leader of our home. Oh, I wish he was the spiritual leader of our home. And we're at a time where men need to take that place of being the spiritual leader. It's such an important place. In so many places, women are having to fill that role and do those things that ought to be done by, their, by the father. And there's a crying need for spiritual men to take the leadership, spiritual leadership of their home. Now, just to tell you, when I left Thomaston, uh, right before I left Thomaston, there was a little girl that came up to me in, um, in, after church and she was a little about six years old and with those beautiful brown eyes she had, she looked up at me and she said, do you think God will ever forgive my daddy for what he's done to my mama? And boy, that was a sad moment. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. And her daddy was a guy who had been a World War II hero. He had flown P-51s and and World War II, uh, escaped being killed several times. So he's kind of a town hero. And he had the job of the mail carrier, which is a good job in Thompson. So every day he would uh, put out his mail and, and he would go home and he'd get drunk. And he, when he got drunk, he got an angry drunk. And his solution to everything was to hit something and hit something. So God kind of put him on my heart. My conscience said, don't go to see him. <laughs> go to the WMU meeting instead or whatever. Just <laughs> but I couldn't get him out of my heart. My subconscious was saying, God was reaching in there and saying, you need to go see him. I didn't want to go see him. I tried to give God every excuse I could. But finally, I set out in that direction and went to uh, right in front of Dayton from Thomaston to Dayton, and he lived on this dirt road there. So I stopped at the grocery store, and I said, uh, can you tell me where so-and-so lives? And uh, the guy looked at me for a while, and then he said this, now y'all be careful now, you hear? <laughs> Does that sound like... <laughs> Black belt language, y'all be careful now you hear. And I thought, oh no, um, I think I'll go back to that WMU meeting back there at the church. 
So I went and knocked on his door, knocked on his door, and, and knocked on his door. I thought, well, he didn't come, so I'm, I've done that, Lord. I've done what I should have done. Finally, he opened the door and looked at me, and I thought, man, he's fixing to hit me. And then he said, come on in. And I sat down with this guy whose life was a mess. And I told him about Jesus' love for him. And I shared God's word. And he accepted Christ as his savior. When Paul says the joy of remembrance, he remembers his moment in Philippi when he said yes to God and God led him to lead that to have the first church in Philippi. It's one of those memories that you can hold back in your mind and whenever things get rough and tight, life gets rough and you wonder if God's in there, then you bring up some of those memories. I hope you've got a memory that the power of a memory and the power of that memory in the middle of that situation that Paul was in, the power of that memory brought him a sense of joy that God is still here. God's got a purpose. God's still in this moment. And it helped him to have joy in the middle of terrible circumstances. God has not said that we'll have perfect circumstances. But he said he would be with us. Nothing will separate us from his love. And he would give us that joy that the angels stole the shepherds about. Good news of great joy, which should be to all people. Then come from this world. Oprah Winfrey can't give it to you. Dr. Phil can't give it to you. The only place you can find it is when Jesus Christ is right there with you. And you understand his presence. Even sometimes when he seems absent, he's still there. Now, would you just bow your head for just a moment as we're going to have our, have our invitation. Maybe you're here today and you need to have a time to join this church. Or you haven't joined. Maybe in your subconscious, God's telling you there's some things you need to do. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized and then you got saved later. You need to come and get that in order, which means you're baptized right after you're saved, not before you're saved. Or maybe there's something in your life and God has given you a vision and an open door and you're not wanting to go. Don't miss out on the opportunity God has for you. It will be a regret, regret that will be deeper. But the blessing that comes when you obey his direction is something you'll never forget. Dear Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us faith to believe. Give us courage to act. And give us hope to endure. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, would you turn to hymn number 433? 
If you look at the bottom of that hymn, a long name to remember, he was a man who was struggling with God's will for his life, and he, he was an art teacher, and God wanted him to have a full-time evangelistic ministry. Now, he may not want you to have a full-time evangelistic ministry, but you ought to be involved in a church. So he was struggling that. Van Deventer is the guy who wrote it. For five years, God worked on him in his what's called the kind of subconscious. And he said, no, no, no. Finally, he said yes. And when he said yes, he wrote this hymn. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. So when you, when you stand up for the invitation, I pray that you will pray that from your heart. Would you stand?